0: We will have our scripture reading from matthew chapter 11 verses 25 through 30 and i have the niv version so i'll give you a second to find matthew 11 verses 25 through 30. rest for the weary at that time jesus said i praise you father lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. In 2005,
1: after winning his third Super Bowl ring, Tom Brady was interviewed by Steve Croft on the CBS show 60 Minutes. And during that interview, Brady, just 27 at the time, talked about the meaning and purpose of his life. But here, listen to what he had to say. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my
0: life is... Me, I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't... This can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it I'm 27, and... What else is there for me?
1: What's the answer?
0: I wish I knew. I wish I knew.
1: Maybe you've seen that before. Tom Brady, one of the hardest working athletes in all of professional sports, not just in football, but in all sports, and he loves what he does. He loves playing quarterback. But even after reaching the pinnacle of his sport, he was left with the question, is this all that there is? Is there something more? Have I missed out? Shouldn't this feel like I've accomplished everything possible? And shouldn't the joy and the sense of satisfaction that comes with that be my experience right now? But, but it wasn't. Later in the interview, he'll say that friends and family are the two most important parts of his life. And, and I do suspect that 16 years later, Tom Brady has gained some perspective on what he's accomplished and what it means in the long run. But those feelings that he expressed, haven't you felt them at times as well? As a Christian, not as a football player, perhaps you've worked hard for a long time doing the things you believe Jesus wanted you to do. You've taught Sunday school, you've sung in the choir, you've given regularly, you've helped with the youth groups, worked in the kitchen, read your Bible and prayed. You've attended worship religiously, gone on mission trips. All the things that we do in churches and at a deeper level, maybe you've also said to God, Lord, I I fought with all of my strength against temptation and sin and yes, sometimes I stumble, but I never quit, I never gave up. Or maybe you said, Lord, I did my best to raise children who would love and serve you and yet today they're far away from you. Or, Maybe you said, Lord, I tried to honor you in my business, yet it was the people who cut corners and lied who seemed to get ahead. Or Maybe you said, Lord, why after all these years of trying am I not a better person? Why am I still stuck in so many of the same ruts that have plagued me all my life? These are all the questions that Christians ask about their lives that Tom Brady was asking about his football career, aren't they? And maybe some of you wonder, Did any of what I did make any difference in another person's life? Make no mistake about it. Following Jesus is not easy. And in some ways, it's downright hard. And Christians can grow weary. We get tired. We we wonder whether anything we're doing is making a difference. And, And if you don't think so, then consider John the Baptist, a hero of the faith. If ever there was one. The man who declared he was not even worthy to tie Jesus' sandals. He said, I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Yet at the beginning of chapter 11, we didn't read it this morning, but at the beginning of that chapter, John is wondering, was I wrong? Is Jesus really the promised one? And so he sent his disciples to go and ask Jesus, are you Messiah or are we to await another? So if you're feeling that way today, then listen carefully to what Jesus says. Come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. I will give you rest for your soul. To understand what Jesus means here, we need to look at verses 25 through 27, which in turn look back to earlier verses in chapter 11. So I'm going to look at our text this morning under three headings. Things hidden, things handed down, and things heavy. First, things hidden. This is what we see in verses 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now, verse 25 wants us to ask the question, well, what was hidden that then is revealed to Jesus, or to the little children, I mean? Well, to get the answer, we have to look at the answer Jesus gives to John the Baptist's question, is Jesus the promised one, or are we to wait for another? We have to look at those verses. And then the ones that follow, where Jesus speaks woe to the cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And here's what John asks and what Jesus says. Verse 2 of chapter 11. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Think about that. After all that he had done for the Lord, John is in prison. And we can imagine, can't we, what he must be thinking, what he must be feeling. Why me, Lord? Didn't I do exactly what you asked me to do, yet this is my reward? I'm thrown into prison, awaiting a death sentence? Aren't these exactly the questions we would be asking in his place? But how does Jesus answer? He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Now Jesus' answer is in fact alluding back to Isaiah chapter 61 which has verses almost exactly with these words in it, that are spoken about what Messiah is going to do when he, what, when he comes. But Isaiah 61 actually looks back to Leviticus chapter 25 which talks about the year of jubilee, when freedom will come to the captives. In other words, Jesus is saying, tell John, I am indeed the promised one, and you can be sure, because what I'm doing is what it was promised only Messiah would be able to do. But then Jesus speaks to the three cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum saying that if they had responded to his teaching and mighty acts in the way they should have, they would be be behaving very differently. Now understand that those three cities, and they're all within about a five-mile radius of each other on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, those three towns are the places where Jesus did more of his uh, acts of, uh, of power, miracles, than any other cities that he visited. So if anybody should have known who Jesus was, it was those three places. But Jesus says to them, if what I did in your midst had been done in the cities of Tyre and Sidon and in Sodom, now listen, there are no three worse, more sinful cities in all of scripture than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. Jesus said, if I'd done the works there that I did among you, they would have repented in other words why haven't you so again we ask what was hidden and the answer is the meaning of the mighty works that Jesus was doing see people love to see miracles we do for those people, it's like going to a magician show don't you love magic shows sometimes I'll go on that America's Got Talent uh, show just to watch the magicians because they're they're just amazing The things that they can do. The sleight of hand and and all of that. Well, Jesus was a little bit like that for a lot of people. They loved to go see the miracles that that he was doing, but they didn't understand what the miracles meant. They didn't understand that the miracles were there to authenticate his teaching. That the kingdom of God had broken in among them that he would be the savior of the world, that he was the fulfillment of all the promises that had been made to Israel, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. They loved the miracles, but they weren't so sure they wanted the teaching that those miracles authenticated. That's what was hidden, but now had been revealed to the little children. Children saw Jesus as a friend and they sensed that he cared for them and they trusted him without reservation. Now, I'll confess, I don't really like the term childlike faith. Rather, I think that we need to be aiming for a mature adult faith, which understands that that life is complex, knows that bad things happen to good people, yet still trusts in God because the gift of salvation won for us at so great a cost to the Father, that single act convinces us, as it would a child, that God is altogether trustworthy. In the ins and outs of life, we can be disappointed. Our hearts can be broken. Our lives can feel shattered. But then we look at the the cross, we see the empty tomb, and we realize that God, in his love for us, has conquered sin and death, and granted to us life to the full, life with ultimate meaning, a life that one day we'll enjoy in the new heaven and the new earth, free of sin and sorrow and tears and brokenheartedness. That's childlike faith lived out by a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus wants for each one of us. But now we want to look at things handed over. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. One God, three persons, existing in a relationship of love with one another that we now get to enter into because of our faith in Jesus. We have a fellowship always of the Trinity and us, the Trinity and the church. Jesus has had handed to him by the Father all authority in heaven and earth. He doesn't say that in these particular verses, but if you go to Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me by the Father. But authority to do what? In Jesus' case, it was all authority over sin and death, over the evil one and all his demonic powers, over all earthly rulers. But notice that Jesus continues in Matthew 28 and says you go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of, a, of the age our authority is a derived authority it comes from Jesus we see this in the new testament remember when Jesus sent out the 12 he sent them out to preach about the kingdom but when they came back they said this so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them now, i don't want to skip over that because a lot of times particularly in churches in the west we, we skip right over those verses the disciples as Jesus did, cast out demons, and they healed people. Michael Card, who's a Christian musician some of you have heard of, uh, I heard him speak one time. He was supporting a mission in in Ethiopia. And he told the story about an evangelist in Ethiopia who was sent to a city where there were no churches. And he was so discouraged because after three weeks... Nobody had come to faith. And so he went to his supervisor and said, I don't know what to do. And the supervisor said to him this. He said, go to the hospital in your town, find the sickest patient in that hospital, lay hands on him, anoint him with oil, and pray for his healing. Could you imagine me giving you that advice someday? (laughs) He said, Trevor, I'm, ha- I'm having trouble evangelizing the people on my street. Well, go find the sickest one. And, right? That sickest person in the hospital was healed, and the church took off in that city. A friend of mine who's a professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary has done some teaching over in Africa. And so uh, at the end of a two-week lesson in theology, one of the students came up to him and said, uh, Professor Singleton, that, that was really great teaching, but when are you gonna teach us how to cast out demons and heal people? And Jim said, well, I'll, I'm coming back later, I'll, I'll, I'll cover it then. I mentioned earlier that the, the church in Africa has grown from 10 million in 1900 to 500 million in 2000. And it happened Because in a place where their lives were oppressed by demonic spirits, where people were dying without hope, they read the Bible. They read the New Testament. They read passages like this. And they said, well, if God could do it then, he can do it now. And they acted on that. And sure enough, God's spirit was more powerful than any of the demonic spirits that they were facing week in and week out in their own lives. And the church exploded in growth. Now, can we assume that's going to happen here? No. This is a different context. We're dealing with different issues. But it's the same God. And he's the same God that is able to heal people in the deepest places of their hearts. Whether it be a demonic spirit or besetting sin, or whatever the case might be. He's the God who's able to heal people. Sandy Miller, who was the pastor at Holy Trinity Brompton, a church that founded the Alpha Course, Sandy Miller said, well, you know, there was a time when we didn't pray for anybody who was sick and nobody got healed. Now we pray for everybody and some get healed. We think some is better than none. Don't you agree with that? authority was handed by the Father to the Son, and the Son has handed it over to us. But again, we know that not everybody will be healed. After all, wasn't it Paul who prayed three times that God would remove that thorn in the flesh that he had? But God said no. God said, my grace will be sufficient. Jesus in the garden prayed that God would remove from him that bitter cup of the cross, but... The father said, no, no. My love for my children is such that this is what you have to do. But can't you imagine what it costs the father to say no? Can you put yourself for a moment in his shoes and to see the suffering of people, some of you, beseeching the father But the answer you hear seems to be no. Someone reminded me last week that even then, God never leaves us. God is there with us in the midst of the suffering and the pain. My grace is sufficient, he says. Yes, sometimes miraculous healing will take place, but not always. But the mature, childlike faith of a follower of Jesus says your grace will always be sufficient for me. I'll pray, always, and for everything. But your grace is that which will be sufficient for me. Finally, things heavy. Here we come to the words of the text that always jump out at us. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 23rd Psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Do you remember the next phrase? He restoreth my soul. And Jesus says, I will give rest to your souls. Your soul is that deep place within you, the one that Tom Brady was speaking out of when he asked that question, is that all there is? His soul was disquieted. But Jesus said, I can give you rest in that disquieted place as no one else possibly can. Christian life is not easy. The burdens are real, questions arise, and often no ready answer is there for us or for the person asking the question. We're burdened with the burden of love to share Jesus with family and friends, often with little or no response. We're burdened by the specter of poverty, of sexual trafficking, of hunger, of violence, of lives destroyed by drugs and alcohol, of lives deeply wounded by bad choices when we know that if they would but turn to Jesus and use the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us things could be so much better, so different. But it's while we're carrying just these burdens that Jesus says, come to me. I will give you rest for your soul. Then he uses that wonderful image of the easy yoke. The yoke that's well planed, finely sanded, fitted exactly to the contours of the ox's neck and shoulder to say, yes, the burden will still be there, but now it will be bearable. It will feel lighter. You know, there's an old legend that... These were the exact words, my yoke is easy. These were the exact words on the sign over Joseph's carpenter shop where Jesus grew up and worked. My yoke are easy. If today is not the day you feel under the burden of a heavy load, be glad. Rejoice. But the day is coming when you will. But Jesus promises to give you rest. And I believe he'll do that in one of two ways. First, on that day, remember Jesus' words and go to him with your burden. For by giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and empower you for f- faithful obedience, Jesus will make your every burden light enough to bear. Go to the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit, I need your power. I need your help. I need your wisdom. Bring to me that word of scripture that I've hidden in my heart. Remind me of something that I have heard that will encourage me and strengthen me in this moment of burden. But secondly, Jesus will help you bear that burden to the brothers and sisters who are sitting with you today, the church. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, carry your own burdens, and then just a few verses later he says, bear one another's burdens. It's the both and. Yes, we do the best we can. We have the Holy Spirit in us. But even sometimes that needs the help of a brother or sister to come alongside of us and help us. It's the genius of organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous. They know that individuals have the strength, but not always by themselves. They need the help of another who has walked that path before them. And so it is for the Christian. Because what are we? Aren't we all recovering sinners? I sometimes think that in our small groups we should say, Hi, my name's Trevor. I'm a recovering sinner. Such I have always been from the moment I put my faith in Jesus. Recovering, but still a sinner. And I need the help and the encouragement of others to walk that walk of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Do you yearn for that rest in your life today? Do you yearn for that rest for those that you love? Bring those burdens to Jesus right now. For he promises to give you rest. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen.